0: Welcome back to the Next Community Podcast. I'm Angelo Luciani along with Laura Whalen. Hello. And from Tech Reckoning, John Mark Troyer. Hey, Laura. Hey, Angelo. Hey, guys. Good to have you on. On today's podcast, we have Magnus Anderson. And I always want to say Andreessen for some reason, but I know it's Anderson. <laughs> Senior Solutions and Performance Engineer at Nutanix, whose specialties include cloud automation and disaster recovery solutions. Uh, he was one of the, the folks that worked on the Nutanix VMware vRealize Automation Reference Architecture document that we have on our website available f- to folks to download. And I thought it was um, really, really good. He, he goes into a lot of um, automation type uh, discussions and he does. Uh, he, I know he was in town here doing some work uh, with, uh, with a few companies uh, automating some internal IT processes. So it was a, it was a good chat. What did you guys think?
1: Yeah, I thought so, too. Um, He's been working with VRA for a long time, so he talks about the functionality, the related components, and, you know, these things provide a lot of flexibility for the various types of installs. He's worked with it for enterprises and SMB, all types of cloud environments, from 50 to, like, I think he said 15,000 VMs. So he's got a lot of experience there.
0: Yeah, automation and orchestration are, without a doubt, one of the most valuable skills an admin can have these days. And so, I highly recommend folks beef up on their skills if they have it. The, the VMware way of doing it—it's—it's it's, can get complicated. So, I, I thought it was an interesting interview. Yeah. So, with that, let's jump into the interview.
2: Welcome to the Nutanix Next Community Podcast. Today with us we have Magnus Anderson, uh, one of the many VCDXs at Nutanix, talking about automation, automating everything, really. But uh, we've just released, actually, I guess, a couple of weeks ago, the. We Realize Automation Reference Architecture, so we wanted to have Magnus on to kind of give a glimpse into what he's doing with uh, the global services team and how other companies can take advantage of the, the paper that he's provided. Welcome, Magnus, to the podcast, and uh, maybe just let the listeners know what you've been up to. I, I see that you've been traveling across the globe. What uh, What's new in your world? Hi, uh, I'm Magnus Anderson. And um, I work as a, a solutions
1: and performance engineer and also a consultant at Nutanix. And uh, for the past couple of months, I've been involved in uh, projects including uh, Nutanix, VRealize, Automation, and Orchestration. So that's what I've been doing the last couple of months.
2: Interesting. I know when it was called VCAC, I always kind of thought like you had to be a fairly big company to make use of it what are you seeing from from that standpoint well i guess even maybe taking a step back what is the software uh, yes so we realize automation and formerly known as you
1: mentioned uh, vcake or vcloud automation center and actually before that it was called dynamic ops and then VMware purchased the, the product and renamed <laughs> it to vcake it uh, might change so,
2: again so yeah most likely <laughs>
1: So vRA as they call it is actually a group of software that helps the business and IT departments with delivery and ongoing management of uh, the infrastructure, the application and also what they call as custom services. And uh, there are quite a few software components included in uh, in vRA. So uh, first of all we get two uh, virtual appliances provided by by VMware and that is uh, for uh, the end-user portal, which also includes uh, governance uh, features, and we also get the identity management appliance. On top of that, to connect to all the infrastructure pieces, we got a Windows-based infrastructure as a service component, which runs on a a Windows virtual machine. And uh, these components actually also require two different databases, so the infrastructure as a service component requires a MSSQL database, and the end uh, user portal requires a PostgreSQL database. So that is basically the the components involved. And then you can distribute them in a single component fashion, or you can uh, do a distributed installation, meaning you actually take some of the sub components and distribute them on many virtual machines. So you can manage. A lot more virtual servers within your environment.
2: Is it something for more of a dynamic environment, like say maybe a university where people come and go, and you know people have budgets that kind of change fairly dynamic? You know, would it be used in healthcare? What are some of the use cases where where this is getting deployed? Yeah, actually,
1: I've seen uh, VRA in pretty much any type and size of company, including both enterprises and SMB. And they've used it to build either uh, private, public, or even hybrid clouds. So the largest deployment I've been involved with, with targeting around 15,000 virtual machines and as well wow. as was targeting like uh, 50 virtual machines. So from a business perspective, I think it's more of getting your uh, processes corrected. So you can do things in a standardized way. So you know that when customer A, B, and C, when they request the virtual machine, it will always be deployed this particular way. So we don't need to have anybody completing a checklist to verify this virtual machine before we can take it into production. We just automatically provision the machine, and we know, and we know that the state is good when it's ready.
0: Magnus, do you do you work with folks on the process end? Uh, of the development of this or is it more um, just in the infrastructure side?
1: Yeah, I would say that a typical project let's say it's just three months yeah, just to make it really easy so then I would say that developing processes and maybe uh, redefine them and recreate them, they'll take about a month of the project unless they are solid when you come on site, which doesn't happen that often.
2: No, I think that's the whole the theme of DevOps, people in process are usually, unless you have a really successful company, they're usually kind of you know, going in other directions. It seems that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And is, you know, would you say VRA, would you, like, is that the first step towards IT as a service? Well, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, since I've been working with VMware-related products, and this is, their, this is basically their product for now for delivering cloud or infrastructure as a service so i would say that that's correct but then again as long as you have a, a process that you can automate you can use i would say pretty much any tool right. Where you can write your own script to integrate with the vcenter server if you want
0: yeah and i think that's the big trend you know within the last maybe five years automation orchestration that's a huge huge trend as we're you know, as data centers are are becoming so large and massive, and and you know how do you scale to meet you know end user demands and, and demands of your customers, etc. So yeah, it's 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 interesting how things have evolved the last I, maybe I, I think five years, but you know it could be earlier, but yeah.
2: Just two of the biggest problems as like a guy that's former in operations. To the whole like well one, the lifecycle management of a virtual machine or any server that kinda, you know, gets spun up and then no one ever reclaims it. That's always kind of a, a big one that I've seen. I'm sure with that use case, from what I from my understanding you, know, you can set some type of like end dates on on VMs. Is that part of the infrastructure as a service play?
1: If you say like a public cloud offering or even if it is a, a an in house IT department that actually it provides this service many of those doesn't want to set an an expire date since they actually charge for, for the vms so then it will actually be the the reverse it's up to the customer to delete their vms when they don't want to pay for them
2: anymore i guess that's a good point a lot of at least in enterprise i haven't seen a lot of uh, charge back i've seen like maybe you know, you show them the cost, but maybe yeah. not necessarily charge for it. But yeah, that's that's a, that's a good point too. Obviously, to build this from scratch in-house has its own warts. But I think a lot of people kind of forget about the orchestrator, VMware's orchestrator product. Do you tie that in as well? I know you have some videos where you kind of have some workflows around, uh, not, not lifecycle, but uh, workflow approvals, which is kind of the other, yeah. the second part that I wanted to get at is, you got a virtualized environment, but you, you still might be waiting, you know, weeks, maybe even a month to, to get a virtual machine.
1: Yeah. So uh, I haven't been involved in a single project over the last, say, four years that had something to do with the uh, public or private cloud and automation that hasn't involved uh, the vCenter orchestrator, actually. So so wow. that's actually <clears throat> the the glue that fits all the pieces together because even if you can request the virtual machine so before you can actually create the machine you might want to go to a third party system to fetch an available host name another system to get the uh, ip information and when you created the virtual machine you might want to update the monitoring system and the backup system and before you even start to getting the host name and IP and so on and so forth, you might want to create the service ticket in a third-party system. And then by the end, you want to close the service ticket. And that's what we're using VCO for.
2: What seems to be the, the flavor for that development or automation? Or is it mostly REST? Or uh, since it's VMware, is it Power CLI Or does it just, can it be anything? Puppet, Chef, what's um, kind of the
1: tool of choice? So... Uh, if we're talking about uh, VCO, VCO is built up on JavaScript. So you're actually developing JavaScript, and uh, most of the time you actually do uh, REST API calls, I would say. And VCO also supports like SOAP, or you can do a call for PowerShell scripts or SSH script. I've even in the last product I uh, call out a couple of uh, .bat scripts. Nice. So, so you can do pretty much whatever you want, but REST is the most popular, I would say.
2: If I uh, if I get feeling fairly lazy in my lab <laughs> environment, I like to stick bat files on the 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 Sysvol folder in Active Directory and try to <laughs> and try to get some stuff done that way. But that's yeah. probably as hackish as it as it gets. Yeah, but that's that's a
1: a good use case, and for VCO, uh, a lot of vendors or application vendors actually start developing uh, plugins. So we actually have plugins for active directory for a couple of IPAM services, and so on and so forth. So then you don't have to create the REST API call yourself, and you can use the predefined workflows that are delivered.
2: How hard would you describe this setup? Obviously, you've been kind of living in it, so you probably find it fairly easy. But why are people engaging GSO to to come do this for them? Is it just to get that sign off, or is your are you the consultant really kind of doing helping them with the the process and the the business side? What's kind of the the main call of GSO in, in most of the cases, or is it vary from from company to company? Yeah,
1: I would say vary. But then, if we talk about a, a VRA environment. I think one of the reasons is that uh, GSO actually gets the, the knowledge to, to deliver a project end-to-end, including project management, architecture, implementation, development, process development as well. So that's, that's one of the reasons, I think. But when you join a project or go to a customer as, an, as a consultant, I think it's
2: easier to... Uh, oh, How do you say that? Probably to just spot things out, kind of the fresh eyes? Yeah, fresh eyes or helicopter
1: perspective on everything. And it's easier for you to actually suggest changes. So in the last project, we did some changes to, to their process and actually cut down the delivery time from uh, one week to uh, three to four hours for a service. Wow. So, so instead of... Uh, sending service requests back and forth to different teams. We changed the process a bit and then we could automate the entire thing.
2: As far as, you know, going through the the process side, you know, how do you get started with developing some of those workflows? Do you, is there an easy way to do it? Or is the product fairly easy to get going? Is it kind of next, next, next? Or do you have, a, have to have a pretty solid plan before you dive into it?
1: Yeah, most of the project actually starts with a, an architectural design, and then we implement the, the management components, and then we have already decided if we want to implement all the components in a highly available fashion or single component fashion, and then it doesn't take that long to, to install the product. And for VCO, for instance, you can just download, it is an appliance available from, from the VMware website, which also includes a, a database, so you don't even have to make external connections. So if you just want to get started for a proof of concept, I would say take uh, a day or two to install it and being able to deploy uh, virtual
2: machines. You know, once you get all the automation up and your you know things are kind of firing on all cylinders, how does one go about backing it up? Is that part of the service? Like, how do you know what's important to? Are people automating that process? I know there's products out there that you know say they support you know, vRealize, uh, but have you seen that integration? Actually,
1: that's the, uh, I would say that's one of the toughest part, ba- basically. Since there are so many different databases and so many different components involved, we get the, all the management VMs for just the vRealize uh, infrastructure, and then we also get the, the vCenter servers and the, the infrastructure for the, for the end-user components, and they all have to be in sync that's one of the one of the
2: trickiest things in the project. And how about for like the user the user VMs like if they're if they're you know kind of just appearing and disappearing and kind of life is carrying on how do you track them and make sure that those are backed up so you could restore if if something does go bad for the user. Yeah,
1: that's that's one of the parts that we actually discovered during the the design phase of the project. So based on um, SLA, RPO, RTO, and so on and so forth, then uh, we can either go for, let's say, for our solution. We might just uh, be good enough with doing uh, Nutanix snapshots and might uh, do um, async replication as well. Some of the customer actually requires a a backup client installed in every virtual machine. So it uh, varies from from project to project, I would say.
2: Yeah, to me, that is the you know easy to create, but then after you've invested that time how the, <laughs> how do you make sure it's not kind of going by the wayside um, as the as the infrastructure provider i guess in that case
1: yeah and I know. and that's one of the reasons that the and that is discussed in the Nutanix reference architecture and VMware reference architecture as well so we we typically build two separate these were clusters to begin with and one where we placed all the management vms the ones I've already spoke about, including a vCenter server for the management cluster and also the vCenter server for the cluster where we put the uh, resource workload or the end user workload. In that case, if all the management VM lives in the same uh, Nutanix cluster, then we can make sure that we back them up at the same time so they're all in sync.
2: Yeah, I guess even if you, had, if you had some extra space on the where the user VMs are sitting, you could actually replicate them to the the other cluster as kind of the additional backup if you're really yeah, yeah, really paranoid. Yeah. yeah,
1: absolutely. We can do that.
2: I know you've also done some work with kind of, you know, blending a couple of the, the VMware products together, like also throwing Horizon into the mix. There's already kind of like a, a front-end portal for vRealize. Why are people throwing Vue on top of it?
1: Actually, I would say it's uh, the other way around. So you provide Nutanix infrastructure and then uh, vSphere layer, then view layer, and then beside the view layer or a bit on top of the view layer, there we put uh, vRealize. So then we use the portal to actually create or request new desktop, destroy new desktops, and so on and so forth.
2: Is it almost acting as a broker replacement at that point?
1: Not a broker replacement. So, the um, products I've been involved in, then we have used the Realize for administration purposes for view, but okay. the end user, they still just start their client and connect to the, uh, the traditional uh, connection broker. So they don't see a difference. So this has mostly been for administration purposes.
2: Is there a fairly healthy mix then of companies doing infrastructure as a service, you know, versus, you know, having service providers running with the product? I just wonder, is it more for, you know, private companies building their private cloud or, or service providers taking this product and, and running with it? Yeah,
1: I would say that the products I've been involved with has been um, internal projects like 65%, and 35% for service provider. But many of the internal projects, then the IT department has actually been like a service provided internally.
2: Hmm. I know, Angelo, you used to, you know, when you were kind of on the operation side, is this something that you were kind of wishing you had? Um, You know, do you see value in it? Did you look at it, I guess?
0: Yeah, uh, early on, um, early days of it, we were kind of just kicking the tires on it um what we were what we wanted to get uh, into more was uh the, uh the orchestrator piece and the chargeback piece which ended up just being more of a showback piece we really wanted to be a little more hands off on the infrastructure and let it sort of do its own thing if you will you know put the put the put the processes in place you know if folks needed a you know a new vm um to spin up they just you know click a button and in the background it would get provisioned and put on the right network etc so if I was still in that space yeah this is something I would I would definitely be uh, taking a deep dive on Um, I think there's a lot of value here just because of the that sort of you know I say hands-off approach but I'm saying that only where you're not really spending too much time in the uh, you know let's say the the every day of okay I need to spin up a VM I need to create a VM you know, let the system can handle. Let the system pre- perform those functions. You 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 work on more of the um, the intelligent functions, if you will. But yeah, this is uh, definitely something. And I know a lot of people now, you know, at VMugs and things. I'm starting to see more folks with a focus on automation and orchestration more than more than before. Like it's it's uh, not only a, a you know a cool term, but there's more people that want to kick the tires on it, whether, you know, whether they, they start with simple, simple PowerShell scripts, you know, to automate particular things in their environment all the way up to, uh, VRA where, where, you know, you're delivering it as a, as a service. So yeah, this is definitely something, um, worth, uh, worth, worth looking into.
2: Yeah. The auto development or is really seems to be to picking up these days. Maybe it's just cause you can, you know, I can only take infrastructure so far <laughs> yeah. uh at the end of you know, at the end of the day. I think when I see the cool case studies come in from the Nutanix side, they tend to be people that are using the REST API to, you know, to front end their, their own things. And I guess it also as you start to automate, you don't really rely on a lot of the hypervisor features because right. you're kind of taking care of that for yourself and making probably closer business decisions. And maybe that's why AppHA um, HA yeah. kind of met its maker with uh, vSphere six, and maybe that's part of the reason people are kind of doing it already for themselves.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, I don't know if uh, maybe Magnus can can chime in, but I, you know, it'd be interesting to see to to note if if we're seeing you know job titles change more towards um, you know like a vSphere orchestrator title or uh, role in a company where that's what you just specialize in, sort of thing, or Or if it's more general, you know, hopefully everyone has that skill and everyone can bring it to the table and make IT simpler. But yeah, that's, I wanted to ask Magnus, correct me if I'm wrong, either uh, you authored or co-authored the uh, V realize automation reference architecture uh, that we have up on uh, Nutanix website. And we'll have, we'll have a link to that in the show notes, but can you maybe, you know, give folks an idea of what's in, in the document and how maybe it can help them or, or guide them in any way?
1: Sure, uh, so as I mentioned before, the, the entire concept of VRA that is to keep management components separated from the, the end-user components and the, the VRA reference architecture actually focusing on the management components because the end-user components or resource components that can be pretty much anything, I would say. So the reference architecture includes uh, recommended uh, setup in terms of uh, Nutanix configuration, such as uh, storage pool, container, number of containers, container uh, features, so on and so forth. So, so that's the focus, basically.
0: Great, good. That's great.
2: As I you know, kind of try to wrap my head around DevOps and, and what that means and trying to, you know, myself personally trying to play with Vagrant and, and GitHub and, and Packer to, to some degree. Do you see overlap or, you know, maybe they are different distinct things where V Realize is still more about VMs or is there kind of a, a development feel to it or is it case by case? I would say
1: uh, many of the... Uh... Projects I've been involved in, has focusing on the infrastructure part. I've also been involved in uh, projects where we're actually focusing on application delivery. So you, you get this VM and then you select that you want uh, this version of the application or this version of the database running on top as well. But uh, it's not something you can relate to as DevOps, I would say, because DevOps, that is more about the process where you actually develop the the software itself but then again you might use the realize automation as the the building block for standing up the different development uh, environments
2: i was drawing my conclusions to having just like a standard catalog where you could kind of pick the pieces you need and then then get them deployed but i definitely see what you mean yeah but that's that's something you you can do if you uh, also add the uh,
1: the uh, the application delivery piece of uh, vra then you can for sure select what applications so on and so forth you you want to deploy on a particular vm so that's also possible so that would be more like a platform as a service offering i would say and not a infrastructure as a service offering
2: right I guess the the last thing that I had on my mind was, this, is there a service for for upgrading it, or is that still kind of early on in the journey? Because you mentioned all these moving parts and different firmware versions and dealing with HCLs of what components can talk to which components. It seems like that could be quite a bit of work to get right.
1: Yes, uh, upgrading uh, the VR realize pieces that has been um, Challenging from time to time, I would say. But VMware is uh, always working on getting the, the upgrade process uh, smoother and smoother. So uh, the last release, I would say, is pretty good in terms of upgrading.
2: Well, that's good to hear. I don't give them flack for it. It's just like you need those things. So it's like, yeah, it is what it is. All right. Well, Magnus, thanks for your time. Maybe just uh, let people know where to uh, stock you online uh, before we leave.
1: Yeah, sure. Thanks a lot. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, Magander three is my uh, username, and uh, my blog site is uh, vcdx 56com
2: Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining and kind of giving us some insight into the work you've been a part of. Um, it's exciting to to see you know it progress from just you know right click clone, right click clone and. And carry on so thanks again yeah. and uh, we'll see you on online yeah thanks a lot
0: thanks magnus thanks for listening just want to remind folks that nutanix is holding our first user conference called next in miami june eighth to 10th so if you haven't already consider registering at nutanix.com slash next and joining us for an incredible time exploring nutanix technology and connecting with the broader nutanix community this will be epic. You won't want to miss this.
1: Yeah, we're planning a really cool community experience at DotNext, including the unconference and a lot of other cool stuff. So uh, you'll be getting more details on that in the coming weeks.
0: So follow Nutanix on Twitter for the latest news and announcements. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast or have a topic idea, let us know at community at Nutanix.com. With that, I am Angela Luciani. I'm Laura Whalen. And I'm John Mark Troyer. See you folks next time.